Welcome to the Holy City Church Podcast Station. This is Pastor Angel. If you missed Sunday's sermon or want to listen to it again, you're in the right place. We're glad that you can take the time to catch up as we go through God's Word together. So I hope you're ready. But if you're not, grab your Bible. Let's get ready for what God has in store for us today. Read it together. First Timothy chapter six verses one through twelve, and it says, "All all who are under the yoke of slaves should regard their own masters as worthy of all respect, so that God's name and His teaching will not be blasphemed. Let those who have believing masters not be disrespectful to them because they are." brothers, but serve them even better, since those who benefit from their service are believers and dearly loved. Teach and encourage these things. If anyone teaches false doctrine and does not agree with the sect, with the sound teaching of the Lord Jesus Christ and with the teaching that promotes godliness, he, he is conceited and understands nothing, who has an unhealthy interest in disputes and arguments over words. From these come envy, quarreling, slander, evil suspicions, and constant disagreements among people whose minds are depraved and deprived of the truth. We imagine that godliness is a way to material gain. For godliness with content is great gain, for we brought nothing into the world, and we can take nothing out. If we have food and clothing, we will be content with these. But those who cannot be, <coughs> excuse me, but those who want to be rich fall into temptation, a trap, and many foolish and harmful desires, which plague people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil, and by craving it, some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. But you, men of God, flee from these things. And pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, endurance, and gentleness. Fight the good fight of faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called. And about which you have made a good confession. In the presence, in the presence of many witnesses. Father in heaven, Lord, thank you for this word you've given us today. Father, we pray that your words may change your hearts. The words that I speak may not be my words, but your words, because your words are permanent. The changes that your words create in us are permanent changes. That's what we desire, that you change us permanently to be more like you, to understand you more, and to live a life that you've called us to live, Father. In your name we pray. Amen. I don't know if you know the comedian Bill Cosby, right? Uh, very popular comedian. He tells a story of a wealthy man's funeral our funerals arrangements upon the men's death, his family hurried to fulfill the men's request, ordering the right flowers, uh, pressing into service uh, the right minister, selecting the proper hymns. The day of his burial arrived. He, uh, his prepared body was eased into a casket, uh, then placed in its shiny chrome-trimmed casket, uh, and then he was, the casket was put into his price Cadillac, which he was going to be buried into, buried with. As the funeral slowly moved down the street, some children watched from the curb, saw the Cadillac being uh, passed through, burying the dead men. They gazed in admiration as one little boy remarked, Man, this is living. The kids saw what this man was being uh, carried into and how they used to and all the things they used to put his funeral together all the expensive all the blings all the riches the men had and that's what they saw was living and in a world of inflations high cost of living rise of personal debt everyone buying everything we fall into a cycle of seeking after more money more things just because 
That's how it looks like it is to get ahead. That's what it looks like to feel secure. That's what it looks like to have a good living. And there's a saying that says, money is not the most important thing, but it is way ahead of whatever else is second place. And most people live by this philosophy, even when we say we don't, when we stop and we examine our own lives, we are surprised to find out how this view is actually taking a hold of our lives. And this is because you don't have to be rich and wealthy to make riches and wealth your priority. We are in a constant chase for better. And just a little more comfort. And we can't say the money doesn't provide those things. We can't say that money doesn't provide comfort and safety. Without a doubt, there are many things money can provide. Many things that are helpful for us. But the chase of it can actually cause you to miss the building of what it is to come. We focus so much on building here that we forget that we're building for an eternal future. And in closing of this letter, Paul's main point was on contentment. He's going to first address slaves, then false teachers, their false teachings of money, and above all, he's going to encourage to pursue righteousness, goodness, faith, love, endurance, and gentleness. He's also going to speak on what it is a rich person should do, how what they should be doing. But we're only going to focus on this first part, these first 12 verses. Uh, we're going to focus on the false teachers, what they've been teaching, those who, who are tempted to seek after what is being falsely taught. Because this is important that we understand that content is not found in our circumstances. It's not found in how much money we have. Or how many material things we own. Peace of the soul is found in pursuing godliness. In chasing after God. So we start off by looking at what Paul says. To those who are slaves during those times. And understand that Paul is not saying. It's not condoning that slavery is good. That slavery is okay. But what he's trying to say is that. Even in your slavery circumstances. This is a great opportunity for you to glorify God. So this is what he says in verse 1. Let all who are under a yoke as bondsmen regard their own masters as worthy of all honor. So that the name of God and his teaching may not be reviled. See, for most of those people who become Christians, does not entail a dramatic change in the way their lives look. And then I'm talking about in the way their occupation is, in the way they live in their homes, in their condition of their living. It doesn't necessarily change your salary. It doesn't change your neighborhood. So as you come to Christ, there's certain things that don't really change. All of a sudden, because you came to Christ, doesn't mean you're going to have a bigger house. Doesn't mean all of a sudden you have a different job. Doesn't mean you got to quit your job and find another one. Doesn't mean that your house is going to all of a sudden look different. It may not always be this. It, there are some changes, but certain things are not going to change because you came to Christ. And for the church that Timothy was about to look over, it wasn't any different. There were slaves. There were still slaves during those times. There were different types of slaves, but there were slaves nonetheless. So those who were slaves, who will come to Christ, didn't stop being slaves. There was an idea that all of a sudden, because you come to Christ, you're going to be lifted high. So therefore, you no longer need to respect your master. You didn't deserve to be slaves, so therefore, you shouldn't do so. You have to understand that they were not redeemed from their earthly trials and circumstances. They were to consider their master, worthy of full respect. If you remember, the Jews thought that Jesus came to take them out of their slavery, to take them out of their position, 
to take him out of being low and be put in a stage that's higher, rule over everything with Christ, with the Messiah, and be over everything. That's what they thought Jesus was. And they quickly learned that that wasn't the case. Jesus didn't come to redeem them from the places they were living. And even as we read this, we see Paul is trying to make sure that the church doesn't fall into the same thought that the Jews did in regards to Jesus. They don't want the people to think, oh, because we came to Christ, because Jesus is our Messiah, He's our Savior, all of a sudden He's going to lift us up, and all of a sudden we're going to be great here in this world. Because being saved didn't mean for those who have been saved that Jesus would take you out of your oppression here on earth and turn you into a wealthy king. Paul's goal is to protect the gospel as much as possible. So he's going to tell them the truth of what it is as they come to Christ. And I'm not saying that the gospel does not affect political ideologies. When you have a lot of people who come to Christ, who are following Jesus, who, who know who Jesus lives, who are being transformed to be more like Jesus, if you have a place where many of those people live, it's going to affect the political views. It's going to affect the society. It's going to affect on uh, things that are done. But those are just secondary things. The primary focus is Christ. Salvation does not come from social change, but from Christ alone. That's why he says to treat your masters with respect so that the name of God and his teaching and all the teaching of God may not be slandered. Now he goes on a little further when he's talking about the slaves and the owners who are slaves, who are believers, but they have Masters who are also believers, verse 2, those who have believing masters must not be disrespectful on the ground that they are brothers. Rather they, must be, rather, they must serve all the better since those who benefit by their good service are believers and beloved. So now we have two believers. And you would think, since they're both believers, right, we're, we're talking about those who have been changed by God, true believers, right? One is a master, one is a slave. You would think they are no longer going to have that relationship because they have that understanding that, hey, this is wrong. You should not have slaves. That is wrong. But even Paul says, hey, it's not necessarily what you think is going to happen. It's going to happen. This is not the case where all of a sudden because you are a believing slave and you have believing masters, that relationship is going to end. It's not going to happen that way. Because sometimes it makes take some time, maybe even a whole lifetime, for that person, that believer who is a master, comes around and gets a full of understanding of what it is not to be slave owners. I don't know if you know about John Edwards. It's one of the greatest American theologians. One of the best. He died owning slaves. He owned slaves. He never fully understood that part. This may not always be the case of that change because sometimes you got to keep in mind that we have committed. We have a commitment that we've made and we have an obligation that we have to keep. We are in debt. Remember, sometimes our slaves are slaves because they have debt. They're owed something, so therefore they were working it out. So just because you came to Christ doesn't mean that you no longer own anything. You don't owe those uh, masters anything. You still have the obligation to fulfill that commitment. And look, there are some obligations that you're encouraged to break once you come to Christ. A long time ago, I had a debate with somebody who said, no, because you came to Christ doesn't mean you got to cancel all your contracts and continue to sing that crappy music you're singing. No, they must continue until the contract is over. No, 
you come to Christ, you're not going to be singing that music anymore. Whether it costs you all your money, break the contract. Why continue in the lifestyle? But this, Paul said, no. You still owe something. You need to pay it off. So even if your master is a believer, you still need to serve your master. Another reason why things don't change is also because believers who are part of the church, we ought to serve each other anyways. So what's changing? You're to serve each other. So if he is your brother in Christ, he is your master, you're going to serve him anyways. So why break that commitment? Not to mention that we are held to a higher standard and expectation when it comes to the relationship that we have with each other. So because of this, the more they should serve their believing masters. And of course, this comes with an understanding that this is based on a mutual respect and submission to each other. This is not about, okay, my master is a believer. I'm a believer. I'm going to serve him. He says he's a believer, but man, he is abusive. He abuses who I am. A master who is a believer would not abuse. As a matter of fact, I know a lot of people uh, criticize and still do John Edwards for the fact that he still has slaves. And again, I don't condone or we don't condone or we encourage slavery. We don't. But I can guarantee you that those slaves were one of the best treated slaves in the whole country. And if I would have ever been in that life, uh, that, that lifetime and I would have been a slave, I think I would have wanted to be his slave. Because I know he would have treated me with respect even though I would have been his slave. He would have still treated me with respect, with honor, because he believed who God is. So then since you're not released from your obligation or unpleasant conditions, we need to understand that being a Christian presents us with a higher standard in all circumstances and in relationships. Now, at the end of verse 2, Paul says something very important. He says, teach and urge these things. Teach and urge these things. So what does that mean exactly? Other than the fact that we should always be teaching and encouraging and urging the truth. But specifically here, Paul knew that the idea of being submissive and obedient to their master was going to bring heavy pushback. A lot of people are going to be like, no, wait a second. I am all of a sudden a child of God. I am a special creation. I am almighty now. So therefore, why should I follow my master? So all of a sudden, this contradicting idea starts to come up. So what they need to do is they need to know the truth. And based on the truth, they need to then compare. They need to have a standard to measure it against. So when they start to listen to these things and all these false teachers teach that they're better than their master now because they're son of God or all these things that they're going to say. Because you shouldn't be slave no more. Now you should be rich, which you're going to see a little bit later on. So when they start listening to that, they have something to compare. And all of a sudden they know this is the truth. And everyone that says otherwise, this is what Paul says about them. Verse 3, if anyone teaches a different doctrine and does not agree with the sound words of our Lord Jesus Christ and the teaching that courts with godliness, he is puffed up with conceit and understands nothing. So Paul spoke the truth inspired and under authority of the Holy Spirit, of God. And that makes the words of Paul speak truth. That is the gospel. So rejecting what Paul is saying is rejecting the gospel. And these false teachers who would teach otherwise, Paul says they were puffed up with conceit and understand nothing. These people walked around thinking, teaching these things, thinking that they had special knowledge. Whether it came from a special revelation 
or whether it came from intensely studying or being blessed with understanding or thought they knew God better than anyone else. They thought they had this special knowledge. But Paul says that they understand nothing. They think they know, but they have no idea. And he goes on to say that they have an unhealthy craving for controversy and for quarrels about words. In other words, they enjoy debating and disputing against within each other. They enjoy the fact that they want to prove themselves to be right over the other people. They enjoy debates because they get a chance to try to prove other people that they're right and the other people are wrong. They wanted to be right. They wanted to be winners. And all that was doing was producing envy, decessions, slander, evil suspicions, and constant frictions among those who are depraved in mind and depraved, depraved in mind and depraved of the truth. So it's like one sin always breeds another sin. And then another. It's like a lie that leads to another lie. And another lie. And all of a sudden you're finding yourself neck deep into that lie that you started. Envy is a desire to have, <coughs> excuse me, to want what others have. And that leads to strife, which is selfish competition. You want what other people have. So what do you do? You're going to compete to get what they have and beyond that. So what happens then? You start to slander, right? You start to talk bad about each other. Because now you all of a sudden have this competition and this envy towards somebody else. And when that realm of evil of suspicion grows, and when all that starts to happen, now all of a sudden there's tension. There's irritation among those who are lacking the truth. Because if you understand and know the truth, you wouldn't be in this situation. And under the root of all this, you're going to find that there's selfishness. That's what's happening. That's what's the root of this issue. There's a selfishness which then leads to the idea that godliness is the means of gain. Which is where Paul is trying to drive them to. They do this because their, their goal is really just personal gain. That's all they want. They want their personal gain. So they're going to do this. They're going to teach this. They're going to act the way they act. Because there's going to just grow them. And, and it's just going to make them more popular. And if you're more popular, therefore you're more known. So therefore you gain more. They're after riches. And they're out there trying to make people think that they can be better. You teach that you can be better, that you can be awesome. So what? People like that. So they gain more wealth. They gain more success. And then they think they become more secure in life. But again, Paul says, that's not how it works. And he points them to the truth. Verse 6, but godliness with contentment is great gain. Godliness with contentment is great gain. So Paul just showed Timothy how false the teachers equated gain, success, and personal being with money. That is what was gained for them. They were teaching that gain is that you have money, gain is that you have this, Material things that you have personal well-being. That is what gain is. That is what your goal is. To obtain those things. And they promoted this in order to draw and influence others. And in return, get more financial support. And they themselves grow. And they themselves have more material things. So they, they think they have gained more. And I'm not sure if this is completely true or not, but someone once told me that, uh, again, I could be wrong, I haven't, I haven't backed it up, or looked up, or, or checked or not, but uh, just the idea, I think, helps us understand, they, they 
Somebody told me once that Jehovah Witnesses have this thing like a ministry ladder where as better they do, the more they climb that ladder. So the more you climb that ladder, the more people you convert uh, to the religion, the higher you climb, the more important you are. And the more important you are, the more money you make. And, and the more money you make, the more secure you are. And again, I'm not sure if that's it's all true. But what these false teachers during these times were teaching was that the only way to find security is if you do what they were teaching. And then if you climb that ladder of success, if you climb that ladder of wealth, if you climb that ladder of material things, then you're secure. But the truth is that the personal well-being has nothing to do with rules and material properties and money. It has to do with godliness, with contentment. And what does this mean? Godliness with contentment. Verse 7, For we brought nothing into this world, and we cannot take anything out of this world. But if we have food and clothing, with these will be content. The human soul was not created to find contentment in accumulating stuff. You can gather a whole bunch of stuff and fill up a whole house and still not be content. It is found when you know the truth, you understand the teaching, and you live a life that's pleasing to God. Right? Godliness. That's what godliness is. Incontentment is when you are appreciating what you've already been given. If you have nothing, but if you have food and clothing, you're fine. You're happy with that. It is found in a living relationship with God. And being content with what you have already been given. Because we came into this world with nothing. And we're going to leave with nothing. So what is the point of trying to gather so much? One of my favorite parables is actually the parable of the rich ruler, right? In Luke chapter 12, verse 16. I'll read it. It's only a few verses. It says, and he told them this parable. The ground of a certain rich man yielded an abundant harvest. He thought to himself, what should I do? I have no place to store my crops. Then he said, this is what I'll do. I will tear down my barns and build the bigger ones. And there I will store all my surplus grain. And I'll say to myself, you have plenty of grain laid off for many years. Take life easy. Eat, drink, and be merry. For God said to him, You fool, this very night your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? This is how it will be with whoever stores up things for themselves, but is not rich towards God. We store, we gather. We make room for more, and we continue to grab more. And when we think we had enough, we just want more, and we continue to seek after more and more, more and more. Like if we were going to take all these things that we have gathered for ourselves with us, and we go move on to the next life. No one comes into this world dressed in fine linens. And nothing we gather as we are here is going to follow us anywhere that we go after this. When we die, nothing that we have is going to come with us. Nothing. So there's no point of gathering riches when you will leave empty-handed when you go to the next life. But what we should be doing is actually be thankful and joyful because God has provided everything that we need. God has given us everything we need through knowledge of Him. We're all set. 
We have all we need already to find contentment. Now, Paul doesn't say to go to the other extreme and live in poverty. He didn't say, okay, because you, you have everything that you need to be content already, just live on the street. That's not what he's saying. He's just saying contentment is not found in those things that you do have. It's not found in riches. It's not found in your money. It's not found in your wealth. It's not found in that. So don't seek after those things. Don't make that your priority. Don't make that your go-to to find peace in this world. As a matter of fact, there's troubling consequences if you do. Verse 9, but those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, fall into snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plague people into ruin and destruction. That is what happens when you seek after those things. For the love of money is not for the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many fangs. Paul tells them that there's a downward spiral for those who are seeking after these things. Because you they are so involved in the search and in seeking out uh, to make themselves more wealthier. And now, because of that, you're going to have to put yourself in a situation that you would not have otherwise. If you were not seeking out these things, you wouldn't be in the situation you're in. I mean, think about it. Families have been destroyed because of the love of money. Because after seeking out the riches, they're destroyed because they are no longer in relationship with the kids, no longer in relationship with the spouse. Because what are we doing? We're spending most of the time seeking after those things. And because that takes so much time, because it does, we neglect our families. We have family abandonment. We have health issues. A couple of weeks I've spent doing a couple of overtime here and there to, to make a little extra money to buy certain things that I needed to buy. And just five extra hours a week, I feel like garbage. Seeking more, seeking more, your health takes a hit. Your reputation takes a hit. Respect, even relationships. And more important, the relationship with God takes a hit. Because you're so tired, you're so full of things, you're doing so much, you ain't got time for God. Yeah, money opens a whole new world of opportunities, good ones. But if we, but if seeking after that is not put in check, we're going to find ourselves trapped in a world where value and pleasure are more important and this is exactly what the devil wants you to be. He wants you to be seeking after those things. Even Paul tells them, some with this craving for money have wandered away from the faith. They've strayed away. They've gone away because they're too busy seeking after riches. Those distracted by the pursuit of money will only find themselves committing harm to themselves and others. And if you look, our entire culture today is built upon accumulation of wealth and material possessions. Last couple of weeks, I've gotten into this thing where I go around the neighborhoods and just look at yard sales, looking for pretty cool things to hang out with my son or whatever. And I ask my wife, she comes with me because... Why not? We're stuck at home most of the time, so it's a good time to go outside and walk around and get some sun. And we've seen how much garbage people have gathered throughout time. Just garbage. Nothing useful. Garbage. They just gather. This culture that we have is built on just gathering stuff. And then on top of that, they want to sell it for very expensive price because they want stuff, but they want money too. 
It's time to get rid of all the garbage, but wait a second. I want to convert all that garbage into the same amount of money. As a culture, it even determines how successful we consider a president to be. If the last four years your wealth went up, it means it was a good presidential uh, term, right? My my estimate, you know, my value of my home went up. My my job gave me money, so therefore the last president was the best, and vice versa. If you are losing your job, if your house took a hit, it's underwater. That's a bad president. This culture determines how successful we are as individuals and as families. As a matter of fact, you can ask many who don't have kids, why don't you have kids here? Why have you gotten married, have kids, have a family? No, because I'm still working on my career because I want to make sure I make enough money to be able to have a family. Many people abort babies just to pursue their own career, to pursue that lifestyle of having more more money. The principles built into the system are backed by credit cards, debt, banking, and loans. The biggest industry in this country is entertainment, which is all based on wealth and materials. And many do whatever it takes to make it into the industry of entertainment because it makes the most money. There's no other in, there's no other uh, position in this country that makes as much money as a basketball player, as a musician, as a movie star. Not even doctors. They make a lot of money, but not as much as those guys do. And the evidence that you've succeeded in that industry is, guess what? The more stuff you have. The more jewelry you have, the more cars you have, the bigger your house is. That means you made it into that industry. You were successful. We'll spend night and day thinking and stressing on how we can make more money. Number one reason for divorce is money. And let me tell you something I'm not sure if, you, if you're really aware about, but we tell each other and we convince each other that it's smart and it's good to buy life insurance policy so we can have what? A peace of mind that when you pass away, your family will be taken care of. Get a life insurance so you can have a peace of mind when you pass away, your life, your family is taken care of. So if you have life insurance, you have peace of mind. It's all around us. We're accustomed to it. We're so accustomed that we don't even know we're involved in it. And it's very, very hard not to fall into this. And if you tell anyone, I don't care about making more money and more money or climbing the ladder of success, of leadership. If you tell somebody, I am content with where I am, what do they do? They call you lazy. Say, oh, this guy is just lazy. He has no, no encouragement. No, no he, he just doesn't care. He's a lazy guy. And it's hard because on top of that, it's hard to deny the doors that open up when you do have money. Better homes, which means a lot of times better and safer neighborhoods. A lot of times that means better schools, better people. More money helps get your bills paid, right? I'm not going to deny that. I'm not going to say no to having my bills paid. So, of course, it's so easy to get and set ourselves into that goal to just get more. Because it does open doors. And look, the people in that church during that time that this was written had to deal with many of these same issues. Even after they came to Christ. And thousands of years later, we are also facing the same problem. And just because we came to Christ doesn't mean that everything changes for us and we no longer have to deal with the culture and society. We have to deal with that. And it's hard to live in a society without adapting to the values. It's hard. I get it. 
I live in the same culture you guys do. So what happens is many churches, what they do is they try to build bridges between faith and the Western values so that it can work together. We try to build a way to make it sound like we're making money, it's biblical. And the more riches you have, it's in the Bible. And we find ways and we find ropes and we find hoops to jump over to make it sound like it's okay to just work, work hard and have as much money as you can. Because yes, that is what God wants you to be and what God wants you to have. So we built those bridges. This is why we have a prosperity gospel. This is why we have the claim it and proclaim it gospel. That is why those gospels are so popular. That's why people in these movements are so well loved. That's why the churches are so big. Even after there's clear evidence of what they're preaching is, is heresy, yet their churches are still full. They're clearly evidence of these false teachers, as Paul was talking about in our times. But yet, so many have strayed away from the truth and have followed their desire for more and more material. To a point that is overwhelming, to be honest with you. Especially for those who, who don't follow these false teachings. We see those people, that many of them do have better cars. Many do have better houses. Many do go to better schools. They have very good lunch all the time. They have food available all the time. So we see this and we feel like we're the ones that are wrong because I don't have that expensive car. I have a barely a car that makes me get to where my job is. I have a very small apartment. You know, I, but look at these guys. They found a way to make it work, and look at them. But we're reading and we're seeing that, no, it's not true. But they have, and we don't have. And this is why Paul tells them in verse 11, But as for you, O men of God, flee these things. He doesn't say, work it out, figure it out, try to find a middle ground. He says, flee those false teachings. All those who are true believers of God and, and <coughs> excuse me, all those who are true believers of God, we must flee the ungodly things. We must live differently than the world lives. We must live differently than those false teachers. If you choose to follow Christ, if you have chosen to follow Christ, you put your trust in Christ, you have an obligation to Jesus, not anyone else. You're not supposed to be like, well, you know, I come to Christ, I came to Christ as my Savior, but let me, I want to satisfy the world and don't think that I'm lazy. I want to, no, you have come to Christ, you're of Jesus, your responsibility is to Christ. So you are to run away from the false teachers and those false doctrines and those false ideologies that tell you otherwise. We're to escape from the traps of greed and temptations of money and selfish ambitions. And in its place, Paul calls us to do three things. First, verse 11, pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, steadfast, steadfastness, gentleness. He doesn't say pursue riches, pursue wealth. He said pursue these qualities. This is what you're aiming for. This is your goal. This is... These are the qualities that makes and marks you as a Christian. These characteristics, characteristics closely match with the fruits of the Spirit. If you look at Galatians 5, chapter 5, verse 22, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbiddance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. That is the picture of a true believer, not those who seek after riches. Second thing Paul calls us to is fight the good fight. Verse 12, there will always be attacks upon God's people. 
about on God's truth, on, on the doctrines and the teachings that are true to His Word, there's always going to be attack against it. It's going to come from the outside and it's going to come from the inside. But we must fight for the truth. We must teach the truth. And we must live it, not letting anything get in between. And the third thing that Paul calls us to is take hold of the eternal life to which you were called and about which you made the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. The future life which believers enter is not simply a future hope. It is also a present reality. We may not be eternally in heaven right now, but once you are saved, once you're in Christ, this is already yours. All you have to do is take hold of it. This is a promise that you are eternally going to live forever. It's already set in stone. And the way we take a hold of this is when we live in the power and the values that are brought forth by God in His eternal kingdom. And we're not perfect. We have yet to be made perfect. But we seek to be holy as He is holy. Last week, one of the cruise ships that, cruise ships that belonged to the company that I worked for uh, accidentally hit an iceberg, right? You would think that that wouldn't be a case anymore after what happened many years ago. But this company that I work for, you know, they, they strive to be the greatest of all cruise companies, just like every other cruise company strives to be the greatest. You're always looking for a way to make it better, safer, more endurable for the people that are there in order that they may attract more people and guess what? Make more money. They're a company, right? That's what they're after, making more money. So they do whatever it takes to get more people to make more money. But in the process, sometimes they overlook the simplest of the things, like there's a warning of an iceberg up ahead. It's just like what happened in Titanic, right? All the lives that were lost could have been avoided if they would have just listened to the warnings. There were six warnings about a dangerous ice. There were six warnings that were sent to them about dangerous ice. And to my own belief, they said that the last response to the warnings was them saying, shut up, shut up, you're jamming my signal. They were being warned about something dangerous coming and all they can respond to is get off this line. Because the radio room was busy with far more important concerns, which was sending messages ahead to arrange drivers and baggage pickup for the wealthy passengers that were on the ship. If only they would have listened to the warnings. No one expected what was going to happen because of their lack of uh, attention. But all that fancy chandeliers, the expensive food, all those expensive clothing, those expensive china sets, all of a sudden we're just headed for disaster. No one considered that a well-crafted ship and a ship full of very wealthy passengers were vulnerable to such circumstances. And this is because money blinds us. Money blinds us to the truth of life's insecurities. We cling to its promises of happiness. We depend on it, we depend on it for our well-being and our place in social order. Money couldn't buy the safety of those people on that ship. And trust me, there's stories of those who try to buy safety. There were those who try to sell and buy positions, spots in those rafts. We have been given the warning. 
And we've heard these sermons over and over, and yet many still drown spiritually. We have a whole book, the Bible, on warnings, tons of warnings. Yet many pile through as if there were exceptions for those who were or who are certain types of people or have certain types of way of life. Bottom line is that whether you're a CEO, a student, a mother, employee, clerk, a farmer, your position does not dictate your level of contentment. It is Christ who leads us to a life according to his will. Look, money is good, but it needs to be kept in its place. And it must not rule over our lives. Our money should be held loosely. And we should be known for those who are, uh, we should be known for our goodness. We should be known for how good we are towards others and God. And we should not be known for how much we gather and we store and we grab for ourselves. Many of those people in, in the Titanic who tried to sell their seats on the life raft, the day sank, died, and took that money with them to the water. And ultimately, as they drowned with all that money, they lost it all. Because when they died, they didn't take any of it with them. When they transferred to the next life, everything they tried to gather in that last moment for themselves, all the money they tried to sell the seed off for nothing because they didn't take it where they went. Money can buy you things, but money cannot save your soul. Only God can save a man. Only can we find contentment in Christ. You can gather, you can gather. The more you gather, the more you're going to gather. But when you're in Christ, when you're living a life according to God, that's where content is. Hope you enjoyed this week's sermon. If you have any questions, would like to connect or listen to our library of sermons, jump right over to our website at www holycitychurch.us Again, we want to thank you for listening and remember, this podcast is not intended to replace your time at the church. So we hope you have a blessed week and talk to you again next week on Catch Up with Holy City Church. Mm-hmm.